Hello, welcome to the Creative Writing Life podcast. I'm Justin Sloan. And I'm Paul Zeidman. I don't know if we'd call this a special edition of Creative Writing Life because it's definitely a timely uh, subject. Uh, we'll get, get to that in a second. Uh, pretty much, it's all about the writer's strike. Uh, and we've got our special guest, uh, Eli Edelson, who a member of the WGA, who is uh, here to shine a little light on that. Uh, but first, before we get to that, uh, speaking about writing, uh, something we've read or watched uh, in the past couple of days that may have uh, made a struck an impact, good or bad. Uh, Justin, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, I have started reading via audiobook, so listening to A Court of Thorns and Roses. I've never listened to a Sarah J. Mouse book before, so I figured I would, in part because my wife's publishing a lot of paranormal and fantasy romance, and I'm weighing in on decisions because I'm the publisher of the house traditionally, but now she's taken over, so I feel like <laughs> I'll just be her assistant. But uh, I'm enjoying it. It's fun. Uh, I'm only like two chapters in, and it feels very you know, in line with that style where they get a lot more uh, internal. Hey, it's YA. So like, they get a lot more navel gazing and internal versus a lot of the books I generally <laughs> read, but I'm enjoying it. That's cool. Uh, working my way through the Netflix queue and watched uh, Sam Raimi's classic Drag Me to Hell, uh, and which was a very fun and silly, uh, definitely a Raimi-esque uh, type of horror movie. And the only thing I was really thinking while I was watching it, Alison Lohman is the lead. This poor actress had to go through literal hell to get through this because there's so much terrible things happening to her during filming. She gets all this disgusting stuff dumped on her throughout the course of the movie. And that could be why she really hasn't acted much lately. <laughs> Maybe it put her off of acting. Who knows? Uh, Eli, what about you? Uh, anything good or bad uh, uh, hit your eyeballs lately? Yeah. And, and first, I'll just say thank you both for, for having me on the podcast. Um, I will give a shout out to Dead Ringers on Amazon, the... Uh, TV series with Rachel Weisz that's an adaptation of the original Cronenberg movie, uh, which I love. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say enjoy is the word because it's pretty <laughs> pretty out there, pretty intense, um, but it is some incredible TV and they take some huge risks and huge swings. So you have to be in the right mood for it, but um, I, I'm a big fan. I, I like TV that sort of pushes boundaries and this one definitely does that, so. Okay. Awesome. So, sounds good. So Eli, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, some of your background and how you got into the WGA. Yeah. So I, um, I pretty much always worked in the film industry right out of college. I, like so many people came up as an assistant. So I, um, you know, was assisting, uh, uh, the COO of a film sales company called film nation entertainment. That was sort of my first job in the industry in New York. Um, I eventually moved to LA in uh, 2015, and I kind of did every sort of assistant job you could imagine from working on shows, assisting directors, showrunners. I worked in TV development at Miramax. Um, and finally, I got to sort of the coveted position of being a writer's assistant, which for those who don't know, you're kind of the apprentice in the writer's room, taking notes, helping the writers, learning how the show is getting made. And um, I worked on several shows as a writer's assistant, uh, including Raised by Wolves on HBO Max, or formerly HBO Max, now Mac, uh, and um, eventually was able to get promoted from writer's assistant to staff writer on a uh, show called Motherland Fort Salem, which is a free-form Hulu show about a sort of alternate world where it's an all-female, all-witch uh, U.S. military. So it's sort of high fantasy drama, great world building. And so I worked on that for the last three years and change. And um, that ended last year. And uh, then the strike began. So here we are. 
Yeah, and I should mention how I know Eli. So I went through the Writers Guild Foundation Veterans Writing Project, and Eli is a mentor. Is slash was? Are you still doing that? I oh, am. We're, yeah. We have our pitch night coming up in a week. Yeah. Oh, exciting! So yeah, so you you weren't in my group, but I met you through uh, Chad, who was actually on this podcast before as well. Uh, and so I met you through him, and then also found out that you had worked previously with somebody I was working with at Impact Theory, Casey Wolf, who's an awesome dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have this like small world, multiple connections going on. And Eli has been very engaged in the strike, so we thought we would bring him on to talk about that. And and you actually play a role in all of this, right? Like, isn't there some title you have? Yeah, it's probably worth mentioning. So I'm um, a captain in the guild, which kind of means I represent a group of about 45 writers who are, you know, I'm just looking out for their best interests. I'm sort of a mid-level bureaucrat, for lack of a better word. I, I sort of bring their complaints and questions and concerns to the guild leadership. But also now that the strike is in full swing, I coordinate um, a lot on like a studio lot. So I'm at Sony every day picketing from at least nine to one, sometimes nine to five. And I sort of coordinate people coming out to join the picket line. Um, also going to do kind of, I guess I would describe it as guerrilla picket picketing for shoots. So like when there's a 4 a.m. you know call time uh, for a TV show, I'll show up with maybe four or five other picketers. We'll set up a picket circle. And um, that's been really effective these last two weeks because the Teamsters will not cross our picket lines and we shut down the production. So hmm. it's um it's a really effective way to sort of show the studios that we're serious to cause them real, you know, pain to show that, you know, they need us and they need the Teamsters also to to make their TV. So um it's been it's been very busy, but uh but very sort of thrilling and fun and I highly encourage anyone listening to come out to the picket line. Yeah, let's talk about the picket line real quick. And then I'll let Paul start us off with like more of the detailed part of it since he has that printout with him. But uh, so I went out to the picket line <laughs> at Universal and um, hoping to go over to Disney and Warner Brothers soon. And then the week of the 23rd is my birthday. So I figure I'll go out there then as well. So I could be like celebrating on my birthday, all the cool writers and what we're fighting for. Uh, <laughs> love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, so I had some questions like what well, you were just talking about, how you do that. So like, what's the etiquette, you know, like in terms of, if a car is trying to get through, are you supposed to try to block them? What was what's the deal there? Yeah, no, and actually that's been a very important thing. Uh, we do not, we're not trying to block traffic. We're not trying to, you know, stand in front of people's cars. Most of these people are just trying to go to work. They, you know, they're an appendage. They work within the studio, but it's not like they're the AMPTP. These are people who, you know, work in music licensing at Sony yeah. or whatever. So we have no ill will towards those people. And it's really just about, making sure the studios see us day in and day out. We're not trying to, you know, create a blockade. Um, So as long as there's a crosswalk, we just walk in circles. And then when the light changes, we stay out of the road and it's sort of simple. We're we're not yelling. There's no, you know, none of that stuff. The the real difference with the production, you know, picketing is IATSE and Teamsters, a lot of the times will not cross the picket line. So that's not about making sure the truck doesn't get in. It's more about making sure that the Teamsters see us picketing and then they'll just choose to turn that truck around because they will honor the picket line. So we are really thankful for their solidarity because, you know, they are helping make this strike much more important in the news and more costly to the studios. So yeah, that's, um, that's sort of part of how it all works. So that's mostly just unions showing that unions stick together. Situation. Exactly. Cool. And then in terms of like, you know, there's a lot of posts out there about pre-WGA and actors and other people going out there to support uh, the WGA. And I'm curious about that. Like, is there any kind of like no-nos? Like, uh, 
should you not be talking about what you're working on or should you not be trying to network or that kind of stuff? Because you're there for a purpose. Is it weird if you're like, hey, dude, what are you writing? Do you have any <laughs> advice? Read my you know, script. Like, yeah, yeah, especially <laughs> that. But yeah, do you have any of that you want to share with people who are considering going out there? That's a, that's a great question. Um, to everyone, I would say, please come. Please come out. It's a very friendly, inclusive, communal sort of environment. Um, you don't need it. You don't need to be a writer. I mean, if you are a writer, whether you're WGA or not, that's great. And you're going to have folks to sort of commiserate with and talk shop all day. But um, yeah, I think the main thing is just connect with people. Just, you know, pick your gate, walk with folks, listen to their stories, tell your story. Um, I don't think anyone's reading any scripts right now. Right. <laughs> We're all kind of tired and stressed and, and figuring this out day by day. So I think make the relationship and and I bet they will ask to read your script in due time. Um, but, uh, you know, we got SAG, we got composers, we have everyone involved in the industry who wants to come out and support us. Um, we appreciate all of it. Or if you just want to drop off some donuts, that's great too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just throw in there that I was a little bit nervous going out there because I had heard like you had to go to this gate or you got to make sure that you get assigned to here or here. But when I showed up, everybody was just like, yeah, do what you want. It's cool. We could use some help over here if you want to go to that one. And everybody was super friendly and and awesome. So I have more questions specifically on like the showrunner stuff and all that's going on, but I'll see if Paul wants to hop in first. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's by mine's my questions are really going to cover kind of like the basics. So like a lot of people who are not, connected to the industry like well why are the writers on strike well aren't don't they all just get a ton of money aren't they are this is i've heard this phrase so many times aren't they all sitting on scrooge mcduck uh, piles of money uh in their house in the malibu hills and like just looking down on us uh, common folk and i know the answer is no <laughs> they're not so a lot of it is like what's the strike about so i know uh residuals is a big part of it and writers' rooms, and also an AI is a, a big factor mm -hmm. this time around. So, I mean, can you address those? Feel free to go into detail or explain it. So pretty much that, you know, someone who is not in the entertainment industry can get a better grasp of it. Yeah, and that's a really important question because I know it can get in the weeds. And, um, and I totally hear you on the sort of stereotype of the successful Hollywood writer. They, you know, they wrote one feature movie in the 90s, and they've, you know, been living in Malibu, like you said, ever since. What I would say, first of all, is that is the tiniest slim minority of the Writers Guild. I mean, the Writers Guild has over 11,000 members and the vast majority of them, you know, were just aspiring to have a middle-class stable career. Um, and, you know, a lot of us, as a result of the changes that the streamers have been, you know, sort of inputting into our industry, it's become impossible. And a lot of us have had to take second or third jobs, or we've had to leave Los Angeles because it's too expensive. So when folks hear about Hollywood writers, it sounds like we're living in the life of privilege, but most of us really are just trying to make this work as, as our job um, and keep our health insurance. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, you know, these issues are not light issues. They're not about, I want this many more millions. Um, now, the 30,000 foot view of like what's happening, the simplest way I could put it is what, if you think about what Amazon has done to like their warehouse workers and the sort of gigified, push to the edge, um, sort of difficult environment that has pushed those workers so hard that they have to unionize. That is what they've been trying to do to writers in, in the industry. And it's not just Amazon, it's changes in the last 10 years as a result of Netflix and you know Apple and Amazon, all the other ones. So what that means in practice is the room, the writers' rooms are much shorter. You get paid the most, the minimum amount. It's called scale, minimum scale 
for those um, you know, writers' rooms or sometimes mini rooms as they're called. And on top of all that, a sort of classic thing that writers have relied on, which is the residual, which is basically when you your episode or movie is a you know rerun, you should get a little slice of that profit when you get a rerun of what you wrote. That doesn't exist anymore on Netflix, on Apple, any of those things you're watching, you know, via like Roku or on over the internet. The writers are not getting a piece of that anymore. And that was a very necessary piece to be able to give us our health insurance and cover us, you know, when we have a good year versus a bad year. So um, all of the sort of staples of what made this a possible middle class lifestyle have been taken away. And so that's why I think it's really a sea change kind of moment. And we're saying, hey, we know this is a new paradigm. We know we're not going back to the 90s. We know Netflix is here to stay, but we need to make this work for us so we can, you know, actually just keep this as our day job. Um, so that sort of hopefully answers the general part of your question. I'm happy to get into specifics, but. No, 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 that really does, because I know well, I was very curious about a couple of things you talked about. Uh, well, I'll get to mini rooms in a second. But the one that really struck me is about the whole residual thing that the amount, I guess, the percentage has just slowly um, reduced over time. Now, I know when the writer's strike last uh, or when the Writers Guild last went on strike, which I believe was 2007, that streaming really wasn't uh, a thing then it was just starting or it was in it was on the horizon and i guess the uh, opinion was oh we'll just deal with that when it happens and it you know it exploded especially the past couple of years but so why has the percentage for residuals gone down whereas uh, i guess the profits for the companies keeps going up are they just trying to keep more for themselves are they do they just think well you know the writers are interchangeable we don't really you know they're not as important as you know getting it out in the marketing and all of that kind of stuff yeah, I mean, the short answer, I think, not to sound too glib, is corporate greed. I mean, that's the short answer, because what essentially the streamers have done is say, okay, there's a new way we're going to create and release and distribute shows, which is like, fair enough. That's fine. It's always good to innovate. But as they have innovated, they have found every way possible to undervalue the work the writers are doing. So they might get 10 episodes of content which would have been 10 episodes on a network that would have paid a certain amount. And they have found ways to wring those 10 episodes of content out of us for with fewer writers in a shorter room and basically say, well, this isn't a rerun because this is our main distribution platform. So you're never going to get a cut of it. And so, for example, mm -hmm. you could write an episode of The Night Agent or like one of those other very popular for the week on Netflix. Like you could write one of those episodes and 50 million people could watch it five times. And that that sort of barometer of success will not be reflected in any residuals versus back in the day, you could write an episode of Bones or Psych or any of those procedurals. And at least when they were hits and they re-aired, it was like, okay, well, the writers will get a small cut of this. So basically, I would say the streamers have cut out all of the old ways that writers mm -hmm. were able to share in the profits of their success. Okay, yeah, so someone did ask me this about the streamers that, so if you had a show or a film that aired, say, on Netflix, so how would you get a residual from that? Do they monitor it like every time it's played or is it or some kind of algorithm within the system? I mean, I guess it's how would a, a writer benefit from however many times a show or a movie uh, was played on Netflix or, or another streaming service? Well, you're sort of, uh, it's interesting, you're touching a bit of a third rail within like, the wonky politics of like how what what our proposals are because mm -hmm. we would love the data on 
on how many views of shows and hours and all that stuff because Netflix will say, this is our most watched show ever. And it's like, well, are they counting the full show or just the first 10 seconds of an episode or, mm. and how many people are really watching it? Shared account, you know, all these questions. By the way, these are questions that advertisers have as well. Um, we are not expecting to get all of the data from the streamers. It's just not in the cards, I don't think. I mean, I could be wrong. It'd be great if we do. So instead of demanding that all of transparency in sharing data, I think what we're going to push for is the flat fee. So, okay, you know what? If this is just going to live on Netflix, if you're not going to reward us for how many views because you don't want to share the views, then just give us a nice flat fee that will at least make up the difference and and sort of make it worth working for Netflix at all. Um, so so that's our hope. Um, in the past and currently up until the strike, I mean, it's, it's varied widely. Some shows you get a, a bit of residual, some none. It's really kind of at the streamer's behest, so. Okay, and so the last one I have before tossing it back, back to Justin. So uh, when a TV show is made, uh, it's usually done by the writer's room. You know, usually a lot of writers and maybe the showrunner and maybe, I don't know, a couple of assistants. So now one of the things that is a big issue within the strike are mini rooms. So can you tell us a little bit more about mini rooms, like what they are and how they, um, I guess, how they relate to the standard writer's room? Yeah, great question. And hopefully not too wonky an answer, but I'll, I'll try to give it succinctly. So it used to be, you know, you would write a pilot you would sell the pilot to the network and then they would make the pilot. And if it went well, they would say, okay, now you're gonna get 22 episodes and 12 writers and you're gonna go off and write the show. Now there's a thing which has come with the advent of the streamers called a mini room where they essentially say, you know what? Why don't we just get three or four writers together and we're gonna call it development as opposed to writing the show. And you're gonna develop season one and we're gonna see if we like it. And hey, if you happen to write some or all of the episodes, great. When we green light it officially, then we'll have those episodes written. And so that sort of development loophole has led to most shows being written, some if not all, in a mini room where you get paid the absolute minimum, you're working with fewer writers, and sadly, most of those writers will not be involved in production if the show does go. So a lot of the times, you know, the, the showrunner will try to elevate and teach their writers by bringing them to set, by giving them producing responsibilities. And that sort of creates a pipeline of like, oh, here's how I grow. Here's how I learn how to make a show. But with the mini room, all of that goes out the window. So it's sort of um, siloing and undervaluing writers is the easiest way to put it. Okay. Oh, yeah, that, that, that definitely helps clear it up. Uh, I will toss it over to Mr. Sloan now. Oh, can't hear you. You did. <laughs> yeah, I had to cough for a second there and I forgot. Yeah. So following a lot of uh, what's been like online and the different podcasts I've been listening to, John August has been doing some great little sidecasts where he gives us updates and all that. Uh, but like, you know, the, the one I've been keep looking out for and looking for answers on and what the people are doing is about the showrunners and about the non writing duties of anybody with a producer capacity. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? What does that mean? Or do you feel that showrunners in general are, leaning toward being you know pro strike and not doing the non-producing duties or how is that going yeah it's a very sort of contentious question and you know on the one hand you have the studios sending letters to showrunners saying they're going to be sued if they don't continue producing their shows during the strike and then on the other hand you have you know the writers guild saying 
there is no non-writing work that a showrunner does throughout the rest of production and post-production. So mm -hmm. there is those sort of philosophical, almost legal question of like, well, what is writing? Um, yeah. And essentially the Writers Guild has gathered all of the showrunners. And I think we have really, really solid solidarity when it comes to that showrunners agree not to not to keep working. So showrunners have been shutting down their shows. They have been refusing to do post production and, and you know work on set. And it's almost at this point like it, it's a bit of brinksmanship. Like okay, we dare you, Disney, to sue 500 showrunners because mm -hmm. first of all, the guild will back them up. Second of all, who's going to want to work with you after that? You know what I mean? If there's only so many successful showrunners, it's really that that's a sort of scorched earth policy. So. I think Disney and and uh, Netflix and a few of the others that have made statements against showrunners, they um they're not going to follow through with it, and the showrunners are really holding strong. And and just to give an example, it's like if you're on set and you're the showrunner and you're not supposed to be writing because your guild is on strike, and the actor says, "Hey, can we change this line?" or "Hey, can we make a production adjustment? Can we make this night for day?" You know that sort of thing. Um, that's all writing, and and the same thing in the post in the editing room. So. Um, I think the showrunners are very clear-eyed about that, and there might be a, a few outliers, but as far as I know, um, it's really uh, it's going to stop all all productions. You know. Yeah, yeah. I saw that T Terry Gilroy is that his name? Uh, who did Andor? He was. Oh, Tony Gilroy. Yeah. Tony, Tony. Sorry, Tony Gilroy. Yeah, he was posting that he wasn't doing that and hasn't been, and so he's stopping Andor, and that was one of the big controversial ones that people thought he might have been, but he's like, nope. So that's cool. So based that's off your experience being in the room and the roles you've had you totally agree with like, that's, that's all writing, you know, as you just said. I a hundred percent. Yeah. Someone who's covered set for every show that I've worked on. Um, it's, it is a different muscle, but it's very much the writing muscle. Um, and, and you are there to maintain the narrative sort of quality and consistency across the show through the chaos of production. And that's all working as a writer. I mean, yeah. Yes, you are producing, but but as a writer, so yeah, yeah. Even like craft services, when you're eating, you know, you're thinking about story, so it's writing. Yeah, it's all <laughs> it's all the piece. The food is very important, Justin. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> Taking showers. That's when the best ideas hit me. No more showers <laughs> for the rest of the strike. Uh, uh, so I'm curious also about the uh, everybody's asking about fellowships and these kind of things, and you know, which I guess you, there's the e email or the phone number you could just call to find out about the stuff, but. Looking at places like the Universal slash DreamWorks Fellowship, that kind of stuff. Looking at, there's some obvious ones, but like that one, like DreamWorks isn't one of the companies, is it? But it falls under Universal, so then it is. Or how does that kind of stuff work? Like, do you know? Do you have thoughts on the on the fellowships? Well, yeah, you know, it's tough. That those are those are good questions, and we're not gonna the guild is not gonna reprimand people for doing the fellowship. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would say to to all writers thinking about studio run fellowships is you don't want to be a part of supporting the studios during this time. And, you know, it, it, it they're always going to be there. So I would just caution people and say, you know, if there are in, independent, like Sundance, you know, there, there are places that aren't part of the struck companies list. Struck companies are sort of all of the members of the AMPTP. Um, you know, there are other places to go. You can keep working on your craft. You can connect with writers during this time. Um, and, and I don't want to make it a contentious point. I think, the, the fellowships are such a rare opportunity. If you get in, you know, I understand why you would want to take advantage. But if you do go, I would just say, try not to give your content to the studios during this time and try not to, you know, use it to your advantage, but don't, um, you know, don't don't give them pr 
projects and content that will undermine what the strike is doing right now. Yeah. Um, so. Does it work? What about people who write for animation and live action sometimes? Are they still taking animation jobs right now or are they just like, we're off on all ships? Great question. Um, so TAG, the Animation Guild, they are not part of the WGA. So what we say to people who are in both guilds is if you can avoid taking any of those jobs, but to people who are in TAG, um, they're not our members. We can't tell them what to do. And if they want to work on a tag show, that's their prerogative. And, um, you know, if they're there again, if they're in our guild, we, we advise them, Hey, if you can cut it off, uh, and, and sort of stop the production pipeline, however you can, that's the mo that's the way the strike is going to end the most quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And if you have to go into Disney or something and you're working on an animated movie for them or TV show, but you have to cross the picket lines and that's problematic, right? It's there. not going to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Um, I think I have one more and then I'll see what Paul's thoughts are. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are about uh, writers conferences. Uh, do you think people are going to be attending like the Austin Film Festival and those kind of events this year if the strike is still going on and like what will be the vibe in these kind of events? Oh, great question. Um, I hope they do. I mean, I hope it, it's really any space where writers can gather and, and sort of feel the community in a positive way, I think is a really great thing, especially now. Um, and if you go to the picket lines, you'll feel that that mm -hmm. sense of, of camaraderie. Um, so I think Austin and especially, yeah, festivals like that, which put the writers in the spotlight. Um, I hope they're very supportive of the strike and, and sort of uh, can carve out a, a space for people to go. Um, so I say go for it. Yeah. I saw an email from them like yesterday, the day before that was saying, hey, we checked with the WGA. They have signed off on our film festival, the, the screenplay contest that we're not showing the screenplays to anybody who's, you know, a bad uh, person to show it to. Great. <laughs> so that's, no, that's good... great. That's great. And yeah, it's, you know, it's not a bad time, especially for non-WGA writers, pre-WGA writers who want to connect with representatives like literary reps. Um, that's great. I just would say, make sure they don't start sending your work to struck companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. yeah, actually a lot. I've seen, I've gotten a lot of emails like, you know, script pipeline and Austin, and I think at least a few other contests, they sent out emails saying like, here's our stance on the strike and here's how we're, here's how we're approaching it. So I think everybody's really being careful and very meticulous about their approach to this. And they're, they're definitely, they're trying to play it safe so that uh, a lot of the pre WG or WGA writers you know, don't get in trouble. So they're not you know, screwing up their own chances. Almost That's everybody. Great. I got an yeah. email from some company. I think it was yesterday also. That was like, here's your chance to pitch all these companies. And it was listing like almost everybody that, that we're striking against. And I'm like, what oh the my God. Was the email? Bad timing. Guys. Did they have it like just automatically sent? You know, <laughs> they had it on their schedule. Totally. Gonna... Wow. So I, 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 also, I saw a list of places that you know, were, uh, on the struck list. So like, don't go to these places. And I was going through it. Like, do I know any of these places? And so far I hadn't. Uh, so I have one last question. And this is another one I've gotten a lot of people asking me about this is about the AI aspect. So a lot of uh, writers and are pretty much afraid, like a lot of producers are going to start using AI to take their place. And I love, I love the, uh, Response, I'm looking at the, the WGA proposals. So uh, for the Writers Guild, it's regulate use of artificial intelligence on MBA covered projects. AI, AI can't write or rewrite literary material, can't be used to source material and MBA covered material, can't be used to train AI. And from the AMTP, countered by offering annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology. Wow, that's really helpful. <laughs> and of course, it is so stereotypical. What what do the executives want to do? Let's just set another meeting as opposed to discussing it during this meeting. And, you know, 
here's what I would say, because I can imagine some people hearing that, what our demands were, or our proposals, and saying, well, you know, that's a little much. You know, we don't even know what AI is yet, and that sort of thing. Just to illustrate, like, a few examples, what we're specifically worried about, like, is if you come into a studio and they have some idea, and they they have AI write a terrible first draft, and then say, we own this, it's the AI that wrote it, now you as the writer can do a pass on it, we'll pay you nothing to do the pass, Ooh. and actually make it a, you know, better human script. Um, so I think that's one concern. Another concern is like, okay, let's say you write two seasons of a hit TV show. Is the AI generative, you know, AI like a chat GPT, is that going to be developed enough that they can run 20 of your episodes through it and then start turning out new episodes that are essentially infringe on your copyright? Um, and that might even be a question for the Supreme Court one day. I don't know. But um, I think what we are interested in is just saying we need to put some protections in place. And it's exactly what we did in 2007 with when the internet media was starting to become a thing. We just said, hey, we need to talk about this now because this is clearly part of our future and we need to put some guardrails in place. And that turned out to be pretty present. And, um, you know, I think that's how we feel about AI. It's, it's not about canceling AI. I mean, I know lots of writers who use it to help them, you know, day in and day out with prompts and, and brainstorming. And um, we're not against that. It's, it's just really copyright. That makes awesome. sense. Yeah, because you were talking about uh, the pay. And I mean, a lot, I think it's like, like 425 million is what would cover everything that the guild is seeking. And someone was like about, you know, the writers and I, there was a great, uh, I, I don't know what the word, um, a great um, picture on, on Twitter I saw that uh, of like the, this, the salary of like the six CEOs of like Bob Iger and, and Zaslav. And someone said that, <clears throat> excuse me, so uh, Zaslav and Ari Emanuel combined make about $550 million. Two guys, $550 million. So you could cover everything the guild wants, and they would each still make $63 million a year. And apparently that's not enough. And so it's I can insane. understand why, they, why the guild would want to go on strike. It's, it's painful when you put it in terms like that. And, uh, or even just logically, like, okay, the strike has already caused most of these companies' stocks to go down 1%. And it's like that 1% is more than we're asking for in total. So, uh, you know, it, it is, when we say corporate greed, I think that's what we mean. It's, it's, it is about control and being sort of unreasonable. And it's a lot of the mentality of you're just lucky to be here. You're just lucky mm. to be doing this job. And it's like, trust me, we do feel lucky, but we also need to make a living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, well, this has been extremely helpful and educational, and I hope a lot of people uh, get a lot out of this. I mean, I know I certainly did because I, I came into it with questions. And I had a kind of a, a a basic grasp of some of the issues, but I think you really helped clear some of them up and, and really establish more. This is exactly what we're going for. This is what's standing in our way, and this is what our objective is. Yeah. Did you have anything else that you wanted to cover on it that you feel like we didn't ask about or uh, any last motivational words? <laughs> oh, um, well, first of all, thank you both Paul and Justin again. Uh, really great to be here. And, and I just love the chance to be able to get the word out about this. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I would just say to, to the point earlier about picketing or just even talking to writers, you know, we are, we don't want to be doing this. It's a weird time. We know this causes pain to other people in the industry. And that is absolutely, you know, not our intent. We hope that we're fighting for rights that will 
also pay off for the DGA, for SAG, for IATSE, everyone involved. So I would just say, um, you know, say hi to your writers, check in on them, <laughs> um, support us in the picket line and, and know that we want this to be over as soon as, as possible. Yeah. Awesome. And the, and the words of the immortal Harlan Ellison, pay the writer. <laughs> pay the writer. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you, Eli, for coming on the show again. And uh, re listeners, I almost said readers. <laughs> if you're reading this, cool. Uh, listeners, if you can leave reviews and spread word of mouth, that's awesome. If you want to come join us on the picket lines, great. Uh, oh, you, you had asked earlier before we started, Paul, about ways people could support. So last little shout out there. Is there ways people can go support this? Is there a website they can find to see ways to support or Yes. Yes. Um, so WJcontract2023.org is where you'll find all the info about picketing, locations, anywhere you want to join in. Um, to everyone else who's interested in supporting, I would say the Entertainment Community Fund is a really great thing to donate to because that is a, uh, a financial assistance fund that is not just for writers, but for anyone adversely affected by the strike. So um, if you're, you know, a set PA, if you're a writer's assistant, if you're anyone who helps make movies and TV and you've been laid off because of the strike, you can go to the Entertainment Community Fund and um, get a interest-free uh, loan with very flexible repayment schedule. So um, please check that out or potentially donate if you feel comfortable doing that. Um, and yeah, otherwise just, you know, give us a shout out on social media, spread the word. Uh, the more awareness, the better, I think. That's great. And, and we also discussed this before we started. Uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot like uh, crowdfunding type of things. There's uh, one writer who organized like a coffee truck and other persons like you know, if you don't, don't donate uh, 10 bucks, that's the equivalent of one pizza that we can bring to the picket lines. So, you know, f again, food is always welcome, especially when you're on the picket line. I mean, both of you, I'm sure, can attest to that. So, uh, you know, any contribution that anybody not in the Los Angeles or New York areas uh, is definitely appreciated. I mean, I'm I'm not down there. I'm not uh, back east, but, you know, they got uh, you know, my couple of bucks that I was able to chip in. So every little bit helps. Cool. There we go. And Eli, do you have a social media tag that you want us to throw out there as well? Twitter? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. I'm at, well, for now I'm at, I'm on Twitter. Who knows what'll happen, but <laughs> I'm Eli Edelson or at Circular Valley um and uh yeah please anyone if they want to learn more about the strike feel free to reach out yeah yeah and there's a billion posts on twitter right now with sharing mm. lots of great information on it so uh as much as we hate twitter it's been a great information source for this so. <laughs> <laughs> cool all right eli well thank you and listeners thank you so much once again i'm justin sloan you can find my books on amazon and i'm paul zeidman you can check out my screenwriting blog maximum z at maximum z.blog and my books on amazon the go ahead and ask series i'm also on twitter at maximum underscore z like you said he's justin and that's eli i'm paul this has been the creative writing life podcast thanks for listening stay safe stay healthy and most importantly first pay the writer and then go write something